This is Not Your Average Bucket List by Only In Your State, a podcast about exploring the hidden gems right in your own backyard. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Not Your Average Bucket List by Only In Your State. We've reached the final episode of our local lore and legend season. I'm here with my co-host Sarah. Hi Sarah. Hello Marissa. So I think we saved the best for last, in my personal opinion. We've made our way finally to Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Clearly, there's a ton of creepy stuff going on in Massachusetts. There's a lot of lore, a lot of stories, just due to the fact that it's one of the oldest states in the country. Yes. But I also just want to rattle off a few very obvious uh, associations with Massachusetts and urban legends and folklore. Dunkin' Donuts, straight away. (laughs) That's terrifying. You know, I wasn't on my list, but uh, yeah, people love Dunkin' Donuts in Massachusetts. Okay, back to your list. Yeah, okay. A few obvious Massachusetts associations with urban legends, uh, local lore, stories, creepy stuff. Lizzie Borden, the axe murderer, um, that's one. Salem Witch Trials, two. The spirit of playwright Eugene O'Neill, which apparently haunts uh, an area in Massachusetts. The Danvers mm-hmm. State Mental Hospital, which is said to be the birthplace of the prefrontal frontal lobotomy. And am I missing any just off the top of your head of like just obvious yes. ones? Okay. We're missing another vortex, the Bridgewater Triangle. Mm, so that's, nice. um, yeah, the Bridgewater Triangle. Uh, and then also... Uh, obviously Salem Witch Trials. There's something else. Um, there, uh, Puckwudgies. Puckwudgies, yeah. one of the cryptids. There weren't many cryptids. Um, there's a lot of just like n- creepy human-based history or like paranormal stuff. But So there's the Dover Demon, uh, the Puckwudgies in Bridgewater Triangle. I think that's all I came up with. Okay. So let's jump into the Puckwudgies because uh, that I think is a fantastic cryptid. Like you said, there really weren't a lot of cryptids that I found in Massachusetts, but on the adverse, there were a lot of uh, like historical associations that uh, it it wasn't, I guess I would say as much cultural as it was historical in Massachusetts. Yeah, that's a great way to frame it. Um, but to start with the Pukwudgie, which Pukwudgini, um, I saw two different pronunciations because it is um, based in Native American folklore. And, you know, <clears throat> seeing that the states are so old in New England, it's also found in, and they're small. So it found in Delaware, Massachusetts. Um, and they're, they're supposed to be shapeshifters, I think. So a porcupine slash troll slash human walks upright and is a shapeshifter. And of course, as we know, these creatures that are in the forest, they are going to lure you <laughs> off your path and kill you. So, you know, the typical, just yeah. standard, standard operation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, if you annoy or follow a Pukwudgie, I think you're going to be subject to nasty tricks by it. It'll follow you um, and, you know, even, I guess, bring you bad luck. So if you see it, then, you know, stay on your path. It's like there's rules in the woods. If you see something, don't say something, don't chase it. It's a bear or a Pukwudgie or, you know, Jersey Devil. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Just keep going. (laughs) 
So, these pukwudgies, uh, just researching them in general, I am very fascinated by the amount of damage that they can do in one tiny humanoid creature. It's like, not only can they potentially murder people, uh, luring them to their deaths, they can blind people, they attack them with tiny spears, and push them off. Lips. <laughs> I also saw they had poison arrows, maybe. <laughs> like they have a whole arsenal. And what I'm imagining in my head, because I saw the half porcupine, I'm imagining an adorable little echidna, just like a little guy who's <laughs> who then like takes out an arrow or a spear and then gets it. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. I th- look, this season we've come across some really, really cool cryptids and really mm-hmm. strange. Uh, you know, like the half man, half otter or half porcupine. Yep. Like, I, I just love it. And I do think that we should come up with some sort of uh, infographic or map or something that we can Absolutely. just like have these cartoon cryptids drawn and then just like throw it in yes. a map so people could see it. I know there are a lot of talented creators who've made like the cryptid map of the U.S., but I just wanted to create my version of it. <laughs> Because like I feel like uh, this sort of lore is unique to anyone who um, who sort of researches it and, and is familiar with it. So yeah. Also, don't forget Squonk. Squonk yeah, forever. Squonk. Oh my gosh, yeah. Squonk. Yes. <laughs> forever in your heart, Squonk. Prepping for an upcoming road trip? Need to refuel before you go? Check out Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier for an electrolyte option to keep your body hydrated and energized. You get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone in just one stick. Use it first thing in the morning, before hitting the hiking trails, after you've reached the summit, or on a long drive. There are 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Personally, I love the fact that I can hydrate faster with Liquid IV compared to other sports drinks filled with junk. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code NOTYOURAVERAGEBUCKETLIST at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code NOTYOURAVERAGEBUCKETLIST at liquidiv.com. Massachusetts, gotta love it for uh, just history alone. I mean, everybody that I'm sure thinks of Massachusetts and urban legends or just like creepy history has to associate the Salem witch trials in some way. This was a huge, huge part of Massachusetts history, uh, colonial Massachusetts. And these witch trials, we learn about them in school. We've seen all the movies. They're still you know, rumblings about it today. But uh, yeah, if we could just kind of go back and talk about, yeah, you know, maybe the history behind it, how it came to be, what the heck even happened. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you want to dive in first. Yeah. So just looking back, if you, if you combine that puritanical belief system with harsh and greedy leaders like Samuel Paris, <clears throat> and then you combine that with also the um, like the ruling. I mean, we'll get to it, but the like the uh, the courts and the people ruling over these things, and then you combine that with a particularly bloody time in history and early, 
you know, early colonial life. So I think this happened right around the time of King William's War. And so, or maybe after, because it really caused a lot of tension in New York, Nova Scotia, Quebec, and then also the county of Essex, where Salem Village Village was in Massachusetts Bay Colony. So I think that that combination was already like priming some for something to happen. You know, this is like a really volatile time in history where, you know, um, colonizers are appearing and wars are being waged and lots of peoples are being displaced and murdered. So yeah, it's rife with stuff that's going to happen. Yeah. Tensions were, were really high at this time. And I feel like there was a lot of between the war that was happening and uh, Salem Village, which uh, present day Danvers, mm-hmm. colonial Salem town. Now it's just Salem. So right. it's basically there was it, the, in the late 1600s, there was just a lot going on with this King William's War and the colonists. Uh, it was basically a war was started with France in the American colonies. A lot of things were going on. Tensions were high and it was like everybody was at their like peak anxiety levels. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, things were going to start to happen. And basically, for people that are unfamiliar, uh, over 200 people were accused of practicing witchcraft during this time. It was like the late 1600s. Uh, they basically thought witchcraft is considered to be the devil's work or the devil's magic. And people were being executed because of this. And it also had roots back in even Europe because this craze of, you know, being able to accuse people of these things and try them for it starting what the 1300s, like it's that typical human quality of like wanting to explain something bad. And lo and behold, usually they're blaming other people for it. Yeah. And there's huge uh, religious ties to this. It just basically the, the beliefs of witchcraft, how it came to be. Many different religions have their own theories about, uh, including Christianity, that basically the devil could give people they, that they classified as witches powers to harm others in return for their loyalty to the devil. So Mm -hmm. that's basically where people were thinking witchcraft came from in association with the devil. So, of course, there were a lot of religious ties, which, you know, if there's, you know, some sort of like religious tension, it's definitely going to boil over at some point. Yeah. Um, Well, especially when it was so closely tied to the organizations and the culture of these towns, like there was no separation of church and state, which, you know, but it's (laughs) the people who are, you know, the judge and jury were basically pastors and yeah. you know um and the pure believers and once something is said and once an accusation is made it's really hard to walk that back especially right. in the time when they are lacking information you know so right. a lot of these uh a lot of this hysteria started because there were a couple of girls um Samuel Paris's daughter Elizabeth age 9 and niece Abigail age 11, started having fits. And this was in uh, 1692 is what I have. So, and just because of this, and I think this is very similar to another story we had uh, about those children in the woods. Like, was it like the big head children or melon heads or something? Or maybe a mix of stories. No, it was was a similar story to that. I think they were both 
in that the state that we covered. Um, and it was just like a based around accusations. And it was the only witch trial, I think, maybe in South Carolina that we were talking mm. about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they started having fits, um, screaming, throwing things, making weird noises, uh, having uh, just kind of um, seizures and things like that. And so they wanted to get that checked out. And then the local doctor was blaming the supernatural. And I think this is kind of what really kicked it off in this area is like the these two girls, this family. So, yeah, basically, they started building up into the point where they started to get pressure from the local government to like really um, blame someone for these cases because not only that another girl Ann Putnam was also experiencing symptoms. So then like a few months later, a month later, they Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne blamed three women for, for afflicting them. So Tituba, a Caribbean woman enslaved by the Paris family, Sarah Good, who was a homeless beggar, and then Sarah Osborne, who was an elderly woman. Is that what you have in your research as well? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Basically, they they just accuse these three women. And um, I just it's just interesting to me. I do. Part of me wishes that I could go back and just kind of being the logical, rational person that I am, wonder how people make the jump from something's mm-hmm. going on with these children too. It's got to be supernatural because what if like it was just a, an insane fever and like mentally they were, you know, like, yeah. like in a different space, brain space. Cause they, let's say they had a fever and, you know, and their body was just reacting in certain ways or, you know, it, it's so interesting that they make this jump to something supernatural or like witchcraft. Yeah. I mean, they even people theorize that, they were um, <laughs> potentially inflicted with uh, – they ate foods contaminated with uh, ergot, the fungus, and because the symptoms aligned. So muscle spasms, vomiting, delusions, hallucinations. Um, and especially <clears throat> if you think about the hygiene of the time, there could have been some sort of infection or, or yeah. virus. And yeah, absolutely. They're like jumping to, oh, this is – we don't know what's happening. We have no way of explaining. We don't have the data. Also – we're real, real religious. And yeah. we at a hairpin just, you know, oh, well, it must be the devil. So yeah. that is, you know, kind of what really led it to this is like crazy waves of, oh my God, I can't even imagine being in that time. Like some things are fraught enough as it is, but imagine just being like, oh, hey, uh, Marissa, you caused this. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad. And I'm just like, whoops, how do I disprove, disprove that I'm <laughs> yeah. not a witch? I don't know what I mean. You no. can't. <laughs> so <laughs> one thing that I thought that uh, it was even, that made things even worse is that they wanted to, so the governor of Massachusetts, William Phipps, wanted to establish a court, so the court of Oyer and Terminer, to kind of like rule over these uh, trials because yeah they needed reason and justice okay anyway so they um there were the judges uh including so hawthorne john hawthorne that we mentioned earlier sam sewall and william stoughton who by the way which stoughton was like a main character in all of this he wasn't a judge he wasn't into politics he studied theology at harvard so interesting eh, okay we kind of get hmm. where he's coming from um so yeah basically back to the original three I think that the other two claimed innocence, but Tituba kind of was like, 
F it. Like, no, yep, the devil came to me and screw you guys. Well, one, she was an enslaved person, so I don't blame her. Like, what kind of position is she in, really, you know? Um, So, yeah, uh, I'm trying to – I think after that case, um, how many did you say eventually were accused? 200? I think there were about 200 in the the U.S., but there were – I want to say thousands that were accused and killed in Europe between like 1300 and 1600 before the wave came to the United States. Yeah. And that's the thing. It wasn't just Salem. It was everywhere. Like it was, I think the, the, the trials and some of the proceedings were mainly centered in Massachusetts, but oh my God, it was just widespread. Yeah. So I think what was so fascinating when Tituba basically confessed that the devil came to her. She was describing these scenes of uh, black dogs, red cats, yellow birds, and a tall man with white hair. He wanted her to sign a book. She said that she signed it, basically, uh, which was like her, I guess, bound to this person that visited her. could be the devil. Who knows? And uh, she signed it and then also claimed that there are other witches that wanted to destroy the Puritans, which I feel like that is what set everything yeah. in motion, that it was there. They stopped looking at just these couple of young girls and basically were like, oh, my goodness, this is something that, that could potentially destroy our religion as a whole. We need to nip this in the bud. And then that's when I think people ran with it, started accusing maybe neighbors that they hated or, you know, whomever. And then it it kind of just like spiraled from there. And the evidence that they used was just wild. So one is like, yeah, obviously like people you did not like, like the first person who was even executed, Bridget Bishop, was just kind of, you know, uh, she rebelled against the puritanical beliefs. She was, you know, stayed out drinking, had multiple suitors and just was like, you know, I'm sure her neighbor was like, oh, my God, this person, we just need to get rid of her. (laughs) But also they were using what they called spectral evidence. So someone could claim a ghost came to them and they saw it. And that was that was all the evidence they needed. Like, well, okay, um, I saw an apparition and now we get to uh, accuse this woman. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. It's so interesting because I was just watching. I don't know if you've watched the TV series uh, Under the Banner of Heaven or read Mm -mm. the book. No, but I read the book. Very similar, I feel like, to where, you know, tying into religious beliefs. And then these men were saying they kept having visions and and that's what led them to murder. To so mad. (laughs) Right. It's just like, you know, there's such a fine line, I feel like, when, especially in religion, where people think that they're being called to, to do something for their religion. Right. And how easily they can convince themselves that it's the right thing to do, even despite it being illegal or, you know, heinous, like murder, Um, which I think is interesting just that this was, you know, it's been going on for centuries and centuries in history. Especially when it evolves to this point where they're actively believing that they're, you know, they signed the book of the devil, they're actively working with the devil, creating spells and cursing people. Like it's starting to evolve beyond like, whoa, yeah, she's, she's a bit crazy. (laughs) Um, Like actively doing these things, which you would think that believing in them in and of itself would be considered some sort of like heresy or like uh, blasphemous, right? Like, um, seems a little bit contradictory. Um, But I'm going to say this and it's going to sound terrible, but I, it is a good thing that 
one, I know that in history, we kind of like point to, you know, people burning at the stake, but they actually did not really burn anyone alive, at least as far as the in the Salem trials. There were yeah. um, lots of hangings. And then one man was pressed to death, which was all terrible. But <clears throat> I don't know where that imagery came from with the like people burning at the stake, but I don't believe that in this time they did. And for as many people that were accused, I think what, um, gosh, what's the number for the people who are actually executed? It's like 20 or less. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think so, they said some just uh, died in jail. There yes. was, it, it yep. eventually became a, a, an issue where they were allowing this spectral evidence. And then, um, th- through the court, they're like, okay, we're not going to be allowing this spectral evidence. Cause that's yep. kind of insane um that people were just saying they were having these dreams and it was leading to accusations which (laughs) can you can you imagine the red tape of like okay let's say someone accuses you of being a witch it's based on spectral evidence so it's like kind of like loosey-goosey and then you're in jail (laughs) and there's like bureaucratic red tape where you're like i can't prove my innocence and now i'm just stuck gee thanks (laughs) wild because also dreams are crazy in and of itself and you don't have control over that i mean Yep. Like, yep. you know, yeah. But And then, uh, yes. by the way, did you also see that not only were adults, men and women, accused of being witches, but dogs and babies, two dogs were killed because, no. yeah, because they were accused of harassing someone, which wow. that is truly unhinged. My dogs would be in trouble because they harass me on a daily basis. <laughs> But wow, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think um, just that's probably one of the biggest stories historically to come out of Massachusetts in terms of legends and lore. And uh, basically the the trials ended essentially in the early 1700s, like a couple of years in. Basically, it was like uh, a couple of the judges, uh, Seawall, I think you mentioned, mm-hmm. Yep. Um, basically, uh, they, they confessed, uh, error and everything pretty much ended. The courts declared the trials were unlawful. No surprise there very much. So, yeah. yep. and, uh, and then just like a decade later, the colony passed a bill that restored the rights and names to the people that were accused, the ones that were still alive. Mm-hmm. And I think they got, uh, 600 pounds in restitution Ooh. to their families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then, interesting enough, it wasn't until 1957. Oh, that, that is. Oh, yeah. Recent. Over 250 years <laughs> later. Right. That Massachusetts formally apologized for the Salem witch trials that took place in 1692. Thanks, Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is pretty terrible. We're yeah. Good. So, uh, yeah. How interesting was that? I did see there were some famous descendants, too, of the accused. So Presidents Taft, so William Howard Taft and Gerald Gerald Ford, I only see two. Okay, Gerald Ford were descended from executed witches or their siblings. Lucille Ball was the descendant of Rachel Vinson, who was acquitted during the trials. And then Norman Rockwell was also a descendant of Esther Dutch Elwell. Accused of wickedly and feloniously sundry acts of witchcraft upon the body of Mrs. Fairy Feish. Wow. I wonder what that entails. 
That's all. That's a laundry list of. For, for all we know, maybe she spilled some coffee, and then, <laughs> and then it's oh, it's a witchcraft. She bumped into her at the grocery store, the market. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So outside of outside of that, well, that was the heaviest thing. Was there anything else that you found that you wanted to talk about for Massachusetts in terms of urban legends, lore, anything? That people you think would know. You did mention the Bridgewater Triangle. So yeah, called? the Bridgewater Triangle I think was the most interesting to me because after we started talking about these vortexes, vortices, vortices. Um, so it's a 200 square mile paranormal vortex with points in Abington, Rehoboth, and Freetown. And basically, a cryptozoologist, Lauren Coleman, came up with the name in '83. And there's even a very famous Hockamock Swamp located within the triangle. And this was a key battlefield in King Philip's War. And I have a feeling that a lot of the locations are, you know, sites of bloody battles, which is why they get a lot of these, like, <clears throat> you know, like, oh, there's hauntings and ghosts and things, and specters, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, yeah, there's supposed, supposedly Pukwudgies, Thunderbirds, pterodactyls question mark um what i mean look maybe it's one of i i I didn't dive deep into that it did surprise me because i'm not sure if people are getting their wires crossed and they're like dinosaurs didn't exist or they think they still exist today so like a megalodon or you know like a sea creature Mm. um giant snakes ufos bigfoot ghosts and also the campus of Bridgewater State University. So <laughs> I'm hmm. sure it would be a fun okay. place to go. You know, I really regret, like, among other things, but, like, growing up and going to college and not, like, researching all of the paranormal colleges that we, we've covered multiple mm. here. Yeah. Of, like, haunted colleges, haunted campuses, all these crazy stories. Oh, my God. What amazing time that would have been just going to yeah. all these spooky places. I think there there are probably a lot of colleges and campuses that have their own stories that maybe they also don't even release to the public. It's just like mm-hmm. you have to go there to kind of find out or word yeah. of mouth or whatever. And that would yep. be cool. What about you? Did you see. find anything else that you wanted to uh, to chat about for Massachusetts? Yeah, there was something uh, that I thought was interesting, a cemetery that uh, basically people said was the gateway to hell. Oh. And uh, yeah, yeah, big (laughs) claim to fame. Like, you know, (laughs) just the gate. So it's, I want to say it's pronounced Leicester. Uh, It's uh, known as the Spider Gate Cemetery. It was a very, very old Quaker cemetery. And people said it was the gateway to hell that the center of the cemetery was used for satanic worship and the ground was like secreting this white substance and that spirits could be summoned from the grave. Oh. And uh, yeah, which interesting enough, but then, then it come to find out there were tons of cases of, tragedies that occurred at the cemetery that uh there was a murder and dismemberment of a young girl a teenage boy who hanged himself um so it's just all of these things kind of culminate into it becoming what people declare as a gateway to hell Mm. 
But what happens if you leave an open brewski overnight? Like, does the <laughs> devil come? And you know, I don't, we're gonna have to uh, ask the people of Casadega, Florida, because uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. You need. I just really hope that someone has set up a 24-hour cam of this cemetery in Florida. I know where I'm getting off the topic here because I want to see this devil. I want to see who it is who's taking all of these free drinks, just like <laughs> sucking like Capri Sun with a straw. Just um, a guy in a cape who's just like just carrying Christ. on the legacy. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine? Like it's my turn to pick up the mantle. I will take these beers from these kids. Yes. He's just drunk all the time, like 24 <laughs> hours a day. Mm-hmm. I'm doing mm-hmm. my due diligence. Also for the yeah. gateway to hell, like what I always, I've always heard stories about various cemeteries like, oh yeah, they're, you know, satanic worshipers that come in here or someone's casting spells. I understand that maybe you need the graves or something. Do it in your house, you know, like you're going to get caught if you're out in the open, just, you know, making chalk circles yes. everywhere. Just. Yeah. I do think it's interesting it's how people make that uh that correlation between just like a cemetery and that's the gateway to hell you know like because i don't know that's just so interesting to me so there is a so you know what fire towers are um mm-hmm. so growing up there was one near my house and it was a haunted fire tower because of course it was just wasn't used fire tower but every time you'd go up it you find like little chicken bones and people like carving into it and it's probably just like teens like being jerks but it inspired me that now anytime i go on hikes and you're probably not supposed to do this but i'll like make little figures and i'll just like hang them <laughs> or like i'll just like take like some grass and like make a shape and put it in the middle so it looks like a fey trap or something oh my gosh it's been you all along whoopsie daisy <laughs> oh my gosh you're probably freaking people out Imagine what story they have. I mean, it's not like really well done. I've only brought (laughs) twine in advance once. So it's not like (laughs) I'm able to make high quality stuff, you know? No, it can't be too high quality. Otherwise, you're going to give it away. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. If it's authentic, it's half falling apart and you're not sure what it is. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I don't know if we should put a disclaimer People don't go out and do what Sarah's doing because uh, nobody will return to the hiking trail. We're going to have a great story. Going to increase attendance to all of these trails. If you're up for an audio adventure, we will be exploring local lores and legends in the U.S. on season two of Not Your Average Bucket List. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. So make sure to like, subscribe, and join us. Only in Your State is an award-winning travel publisher that uncovers hidden gems and local favorites across the U.S. We have a presence in all 50 states with a passionate following of fellow travelers looking to get out and explore. Head on over to onlyinyourstate.com to find the best attractions in your backyard and beyond.